1: Good morning again, Next Movement Church, and may the blessings of the Lord be upon you this Sunday morning. Um, We are glad that you chose to fellowship with us again this morning in this virtual house of the Lord, right at the beginning of the year. And so, here at Next Movement Church, we are here to encourage every single believer to use the tools, the resources, and the abilities God has given us to deepen our relationship with Him and with those that are around us. So, we hope today that by the end of our time together, you will know that this was a divine appointment in learning and spiritual growth so again i'm your host george harris and we have the one and only pastor michael harris with us this morning hey, everybody! good morning nice. and so we're so grateful for pastor mike he taught us um a great lesson last week on on the temple and reminding us about um about what the temple really is and what God, what jesus requirements are for those those temple brothers or or those temples let's just say those temples those those walking temples amen and so we are gonna today we're looking forward to going further on today's journey with you um we believe it's never too late to make a commitment to learn something new and of course as we know everybody bible study can take place where anywhere Anywhere. so if you are here get ready for the first of many sessions (laughs) of this series of intriguing, thought-provoking, head-scratching, heart-racing, page-turning, brain-bubbling, faith-building, Bible study. And so if you're new here, we say welcome. And if you haven't been here for a while, we say welcome back. Now, it is the beginning of the year. And I'm now glad about it. I don't know how I felt at the end of the year, but I'm actually glad about it right now. And so it's the beginning of the year, We are back with, I had to just basically start thinking about what am I gonna say about this? It is our second semester on our series on biblical spiritual beings um, that we started in 2021. So you're in semester two now, (laughs) we're in semester two. And so we are entering what would be 31 weeks of Bible study. So we had to just make it a semester. It's a semester, semester one's gone, we're in semester two. and somehow we just still couldn't get enough of this topic. I had had enough calls, emails, question marks, on for the last few weeks. And so we're finally ready to get back in and then get back to it. So as promised, I'm back at it again, as Asia would say at Krispy Kreme. And with that being said, let's crack those knuckles, flex those brains, and as always stay focused on what's helped keep us on track which is our commitment to stacking up our understanding of this topic, all the things we know, all the things we've read, all the conferences we've been to, all the prophets and preachers on Facebook, all the everything that you have understood about this topic. And we are stacking it up against a ancient Hebrew biblical foundation. So if you're up to the task, glad you're here. And let's continue to press forward. As a reminder to all participating today, This is not designed to make you the expert. Again, no PhD in the Peculiar Law over here. There is no doctorate in the divine being issued at the end of this term. There are no certificates in the cringy. We don't have any of them. No diplomas in the deranged if you're worried about that. But what we will walk away with are more questions than answers. But the questions that you have will be worth seeking out over the course of your life. And pray God give you a, a revelation so that you can share that with us. Now, if you are, if you were here for any part of this series and you know that there, that you have learned a lot, but there's so much more to get, just give me a big amen and we'll move forward. Amen. Amen. All right. So before we get started, I just want to check in and see if there are any burning questions from last term or something that you're, you're hanging on to that makes you say, Hey, I can't wait to see if we figure this out this week. Um, just how are you feeling now that we're starting a new, a new session?
3: Anxious, it's great. it's great.
1: I hear great. I hear anxious. <laughs> oh my god. Eager. Oh see, mm-hmm. yeah. eager. 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 I like eager too. I like eager. I like all of that because you know what it felt like? Um, and I have to I have to blame Shannon for this. So not even blame, but credit. So I, I was having a conversation with Shannon at, um the week before the last week, so on week 29. And I said, you know what, I think I have to stop here because Advent's coming, I need to move forward. And she said, but you can't, you can't leave us with this type of ending. I said, well, what do you mean? she goes, well, you can't just just, just leave us in the dust here of just bleeding. like we, we're, There's no resolve, but we need something. And I said, okay, well, what type of ending should we give it? And she said, give it a Marvel ending. And I said, okay, I got that, which was at least resolve something but leave the leave the opening for where we're going next. And that's exactly what I endeavored to do. We did it last time, we're, we're back. And so now I hope that you're ready to take in some, get caught up on the old information, but start to take in new information without getting overwhelmed because there's still a lot to cover. Amen? So here we are Shannon, we're done with the Marvel ending and now we're gonna start the, the Eternals today. Uh, so as I said earlier, we're currently in the series in our series week 31 biblical spiritual beings aka semester two if you need a refresher on last semester's course no fear video replays have arrived and so if you missed us last year or will miss us in the future for whatever reason you can review all of our messages on the website just go to um, nextmovementchurch.com under the sermons tab if you scroll you can find the link to get into the current day you can find the link to the podcast if you're a podcaster or if you, if you are a person that wants to see the slides and the screens, there should be a video player there for you to go and watch the sermons that you missed. Now, this week, we are, as the screen is saying, we are continuing on our unit on the rebel insurgents, as we call them, otherwise known as the Satan and Demons. And many of you are probably saying, I didn't read about any of the Satan and Demons this whole series on the biblical history of evil, but we did. Uh, we're currently in a subsection called the biblical, um, the biblical history of evil. And so we're gonna take a few moments to orient our minds with a brief review and then jump into the topic um, that we left on, which was on the Nephilim, right? So we got a lot of ground to cover. I'm gonna check my time. Have we got a good hour that we need to, we need to push through? So let's go, just go ahead and get started. All right. fact, I don't want to see the scripture yet. Let's just talk. Let's have a conversation about some of this. So as we're diving headfirst into this topic, you have to always remember the big picture. And the big picture is this charting, the development of evil in the Bible is just not a simple task. It is not easy. Um, And it's not easy partially because we never, it never describes evil head-on and never describes it explicitly or, extreme or directly. There's no checklist provided of evil traits or, or no checklist provided of, these are the signs of, of, of evil in your world. What we have been given though, is a collection of stories. The Bible surrounds itself with stories. And in this collection of stories and images, that they all come together to help us form and infer our understanding of evil. So this means that there's a lot of things you've heard, seen, encountered in your life that are not getting directly answered in the Bible. But as we're exploring the history and the patterns of evil work, what it is doing is equipping you to see and to discern how evil is manifest in our world today. So that's where you are. You are you are stepping in and inferring and pulling out the lessons and the learning from the material. Now, when we ended last semester, we were knee-deep in a discussion on these offspring of human women and members of the Yahweh's divine council, otherwise known as the big N-word. What is it, folks?
3: Nephilim.
1: Nephilim, Okay, so for this course, that's the big N-word, the Nephilim. And so there was there were a lot, there was just a lot of information handed to you on week 30. It was a lot. And so let's just go ahead and establish our mental guideposts one more time before we press any further into this topic. So let's start by zeroing in on the scripture that validated the existence of the Nephilim, which was Genesis uh, chapter six, and we're verses three to four. And of course I'll bring them up on the screen. And so here we are and it reads, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are mortal and their days will be 120 years. Now, just as a, just as a keynote here, there are two schools of thought or more, but two main schools of thought on this, on this line of scripture, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. As in, I'm not going to keep them alive eternally. They have limits. I made expiration dates on them. Once they, once they ate of of the fruit in the garden, there was a guarantee that they will die. So I cannot continue with them. They are mortal. And then it says their days will be 120 years. Now, the chapter previous to this, we are starting to see, and even before that, all through Genesis, uh, maybe three through six, you start. You see the evil and the iniquity that is growing in the people that are walking on the land. And so, two schools of thought on this half of the of the scripture are that a humans will never live past 120 years on the earth, and or, and I have to say, and or, um, it was a 120 day, um, 220 year countdown to the flood. So. I've I've heard both played out and I've heard, and they're both reasonable. So I'm leaving that with you. Now, verse four reads, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. All right. So we're back to the Nephilim, right? So the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, which is important. So, I mean, so this is, this is the lines of scripture that are the book ends to the flood story so this is the first book end going into the flood story and then there's another book end that happens after the flood story with relation to this so here's the first book end the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward and when the sons of god when the sons of god went to the daughters of humans and had children by them so they were the heroes of old men of renown. So here we go let's pick it apart. If you have the sons of god who are those? who are they? what is the what, what is their function? who are them?
2: the divine
3: council.
1: Yes, the divine council, remember? So it's like we have god, you know, sits on their own and then we have this divine council that that has leadership and with god and then we have, of course, our messengers, i.e. angels and prophets that carry the messages back and forth. And then not to mention all the cherubim that are like, I call them the guard dogs, but they are the animals of the animals of the heavenlies, so to speak, the, the, the hybrid mashup animals. And of course, the seraphim that have the wings, remember, as we, as we said before, that are flying, covering their faces, covering their hands, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, singing to one another in the temple. So we are saying, speaking of this, council this advisory council as i'll call them um, that god leads chairs but is also um of authority in some respects so when the sons of god so this divine council that sits with him went to the daughters of humans and had children by them so they had what
3: children children
1: they had kids they had babies right and so And these children were the heroes of old men of renown. Okay. So when we talk about ancient day heroes and great men of valor and all these things, these, these Nephilim fall in this category. This is who they were. All right. So let's go to the next slide. So let's talk. Let's recap quickly. Let's recap them quickly. Names throughout the Bible. So this passage. That we've read tells us that this group of nephilim lived in the land in those days and so what we were able to learn from all we read a lot of scriptures on week 30 and what we were able to learn is that the nephilim were giant warriors giant warriors from ancient biblical times these this is why the first translation of the hebrew bible into ancient greek which is around Uh, 300 to 100 ish BC around there that's the first translation and it was translated it translated the Hebrew word Nephilim with the Greek word gigantes or giant it was Mm -hmm. the actual word Nephilim was translated as giant Okay, so we also covered that the Nephilim went by other names in the bible not just Nephilim. So you have to start, remember we went through lineage, everybody remember we started talking about the, the lineage of the Nephilim and all the other tribes that they were connected to down mm-hmm. the South as descendants. Mm-hmm. So the descendants of the Nephilim are, are very important for us to track because these traits then would also be with these groups. And so on your screen, what you're seeing is at least a few more that we covered last year, which are the sons of Anak, right? Mm-hmm. Or the Anakites. And so we have the sons of Anak, Anak, which are the descendants of Anak. They came from the Nephilim. And of course that bleeds over into, like I said, the tribe of the Anakites, which are mentioned in Deuteronomy two and also in Deuteronomy nine. So if if those are scriptures you need to go back to, here they are, I'm leaving most of them on the screen for you. So Deuteronomy two, and also in Deuteronomy nine. This relationship, this descending relationship also expands to other names. So if you read in your word and you see that this is also expanded to the referites or the referates as they as they say it. So anytime that you see Rephraim, they are a part mm-hmm. of that. If I'm even pronouncing it correctly, because there's a, there's a couple syllables in there that mess me up. But the refrain they are also, you might as well just interchange that with Nephilim. Because they are they are of the same descendant group. Mm-hmm. The other group is the Emites. Is the Emites. So you're so I had someone ask me once, well, why do they have so many different names if it's the same group? Well, if you think about it, we don't all call groups of people the exact same thing. We don't. Um, you know, the group, a group of people may call themselves one thing. But it's not the same thing that they're they're called in another country or another another culture. They have different names for the groups of people that they're referring to. So it's it's really not that uncommon. So if you see the Nephilim, the Referim, sons of Anak, the Anakites, or the Emites, we are likely talking about the same groups, groups of descendants. We're talking about the same group of giant descendants. Giant. Descendants. And then, all right. How are we feeling there? Is that clear? Yep. I agree with you, Lisa. And the termites. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably felt like termites. Oh, they probably, they probably, it probably, they probably experienced them as termites because they, they were, they were strong. They were <sighs> heroes of renown, right? Men of renown. So, any questions on that? Are we good? Yeah. Good there. Thumbs up if we're good. Mm-hmm we're clear we're clear we're clear okay good so let's move forward with joshua let me take you to the book of joshua and i'm going to just read two two lines joshua 11 verses 21 to 22 again joshua 11 verses 21 to 22 so again get it in your mind we had genesis 6 where we have these divine council members who are clearly living where where do they live um well they
3: live in heaven but they um came to the earth
1: Clearly, they must have come to the earth because human women live where? On the earth. On the earth. So, and we no longer are interacting in Eden, Mm -hmm. right? Because Eden is lost. Remember, Eden has no access at this point in the scriptures. We have lost access. We were, from the time when Adam and Eve were kicked out the garden and the eastward expansion started, no more Eden access. So we had, we had theories about the patron saints, uh, about as we call the I'll call the patron deities that ended up watching over them because we had read scripture. But remember, these divine council members came must have come to come to Earth, found these beautiful human women. They have children, and here we are with this with the with the Nephilim, these giants and heroes and men of renown. And they eventually multiply in ways and they too become tribes and groups, Rephaim, Amites, Anakites, all of of these names, sons of Anak, right? And so here we are in Joshua, let me read some things to show you how far their, their lineage had spread. And it reads, at that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites. So they're related to the what?
2: The Nephilim.
1: The Nephilim, okay, so Joshua, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, that guy, um, he <laughs> destroyed the Anakites from the hill country. So there were some that lived in the hill country, right? And so from the hill country, so from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel, right? Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. So from this region of the map, which includes the cities of Toronto, Mississauga, Brampton, da da da, these, are, these Anakites were, pushed, were, were destroyed. Hebron, Debir, Anab, Hill Country of Judah, all the Hill Country of Israel, they were destroyed. 22, no Anakites were left in Israel's, in Israelite territory, okay? So they did not live where. Once Joshua destroyed them in the hill, none were. No, none were where.
3: In Israel, um, no Israelite. um, They weren't left in any of the country, Gaza, and those places.
1: Well, they were no longer in the place where the Israelites lived. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So they didn't live among the Israelite people. See, no Anakites were left in Israelite territory. So anywhere that was given to the Israelites, that they see that they had this territory, there were no Nephilim there. There are no giants there. But read this. It says only in, they still live somewhere though. They lived in Gaza. They lived in Gath. And Ashdod did any survive. So they still lived in those territories. So Joshua comes, he defeats them like he's supposed to. Because remember, Joshua's responsibility was what? down the wall of jericho right 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 I'm, I'm paying attention to you in the chat um and it says no anakites were left in israelite territory. so joshua comes in so remember we have moses and joshua right joshua mm-hmm. takes over moses goes to die we take over the territory in the land And they move into Canaan, land of milk and honey and all the rest of the stuff. But then eventually, Mm -hmm. of course, there's still work to do because they need to take the territory from the folks that are there. And then, so as they went through their expansion, they had to destroy the Anakites that were in the land. Because remember, these these are still the giants and the men of renown that were also offspring of divine people. So there's a lot to be said about that conversation because remember we had challenges before where God had to wipe them off the earth come with Noah so Joshua had to do his due diligence now after they were removed from Israelite territory they were living still in Gaza Gath and Ashdod still had them there all right so of course which then brings us to the most famous biblical giant which is who Goliath Goliath right and so, as the Bible reads in 1 Samuel 17 and 4, see, we're from we know that they're there in the Bible. I just don't know why we never talk about them. They're there, we know this. So with, so it says a champion named Goliath, who was from where? Gath. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go back to Joshua. Where did where did the giants survive?
3: God's a gath, ashdod.
1: Yes, God's Gat- Ashdod, right? So we know that this is true. We know that, that this is a real biblical giant and he comes from a place where giants lived. So it says a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Yikes. So we know this passage is about from the story of David and Goliath. So here we read that Goliath was from Gath and that's where the remaining Anakites lived. So based on what's written here, did we did we establish how tall Goliath was? No. Any guesses? I know, Lisa. I know you had some guesses as well too. But we uh, but what we said was that this man was just about ten feet tall. <laughs> ten, six cubits in a span. All you fast iPhone people. <laughs> all you fast Android folks. Well,
3: well slightly fast Android folks. Can I- you can- <laughs> <thing> there? <laughs> So, can i just um say something there go for it um well, so the, the philistines um brought out uh, goliath right mm-hmm. now if there are so many of those giants in gath they were not so smart because they should have brought out more of those to come and fight the battle but they weren't so smart well maybe one.
1: we don't know right there may be some, there may be one, there may be two, there may be 17. I have no idea how many there were, but if, but if he was nearly, nearly 10 feet tall, and you were talking about eight-ish, nine-ish feet, mm-hmm. we're talking eight, nine feet, there was no, remember, it was a single warrior to fight, to fight Goliath. Who would be so brave to fight a man this big?
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: They, they had the win every time. They had to right. win it every time, but there we go, right? They, they must've been terrified when they saw him drop to a stone. <laughs> the stone hit him and he's out. We we're in trouble. Who are these people? So <laughs> what type of sorcery is this?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, nearly we go. But we also, but so think of this. So we know that they survived in these places. Don't know what their, what their demographic constitution, constitutional makeup was, but here's where, where they were. Um, We also did discuss though, not only is this story being told in the Bible. Yep. There you go, Lisa. She's like about 11.35 feet, quite a bit taller than (laughs) Shaq. Yep. These are tall folks. Like I said, nearly 10 feet ish. So we discussed um, again, that it wasn't just biblical accounting of these giants. We discussed that the Egyptians, also wrote about giants that lived in the land of Canaan around this time period. And there are there's folklore from so many other nations that are filled with such references. And so the people of the ancient world, the people of the ancient world in general accepted that there's a presence of giants as a fact of history. All ancient people have stories of giant people that are walking the earth. And so the Bible itself presents them as enemies who were destroyed by either judgment or battle, but they're there. We just need to acknowledge that they're there. We need to acknowledge that they're there. All right, so let me do a really quick check-in to make sure that we're all together still. So have we established that the Nephilim are real?
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Good. All right, have we established that they were really giants? yes yes physically tall giant yeah good did they live past the time of noah's ark yes yes yeah. yes did they live among humans yes
2: yes
1: yes so they so yes to all of this right they were there they existed there were regions on the map that you can look at even today we can look at gaza today they lived over there so these are all parts of the world that they, that they lived in, in the ancient world and many nations spoke about them. So they are there. So yes to all of this, but we didn't just leave it here with the biblical record. When we last met, we actually discussed how it fit into the mainstream historical record and pieces of it. So let me just recap that really briefly, not going too deep because you can watch the last one and see how deep that went. but. Here we are. Let's first take a look. I'm going to read this in the King James um, Genesis 10 verses 8 through 9. I'm going to do a li- and show you a little bit um, of where this ties in with lineage. So let me remember we're a part of the historical mainstream historical record like history books that you would read at school with these stories. So Genesis 10 verses 8 and 9 verses 8 to 10. 8 to 10. And it reads Cush. Okay. Now well, I'm going to talk about whose who's son that was. But Cush was the father of, what's this guy?
2: Nimrod. Nimrod. Yeah.
1: Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. earth. okay. Cush had Nimrod. And Nimrod was this mighty warrior on the earth and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So is this someone that's being celebrated for their greatness?
3: Yes. Yeah,
1: Yeah, they're probably pretty superhero-y amazing is what we're getting out of that. Verse 10, the first centers though of his kingdom, so the places where he had his first cities were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kelneh, and Shinnah. Where were his where was his kingdom? Babylon. Babylon. Uruk.
2: Urah, Urah,
1: Urah,
2: Akkad. All
1: right. All right, follow me. So, we went through the last the last time we met, we went through a very important connection which is Uruk. Because in the in the mainstream record of history, there is a place called Erek. And Erech is the Hebrew spelling of Uruk. So there are so if we see Erek or Uruk in mainstream history or biblical history, it's the same place. Mm -hmm. This in the mainstream history is the city of the Sumerian king, which we saw parallels between in the Epic of. Anybody remember the, the word? There we go. I see it up there. The king. What what king? What mainstream history king did we speak of? that a Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh exactly so this is and so we went through the parallels between the epic of Gilgamesh and with this story of Nimrod and there are many differences but many very many similarities with the types of characters that the Sumerians spoke of um the the time period the people that the person that he was and what was involved and so I'm going to here's a refresher remember this anybody
2: yeah yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So like I said, Eric is the was is Uruk. And what you're seeing here is a statue that was made in his honor, in Gilgamesh's honor. And it's on display here at the Louvre in Paris. Mm-hmm. So you can see people walking along the side. They're in the museum. This is a real thing. <laughs> this is a real thing, okay? So um, they're at the Louvre in Paris. And this is, what this is, is a depiction of Gilgamesh from the late Assyrian period, which is 8th century BC. And he's depicted with this lion that he holds almost like a baby <laughs> because he tames everything. He's a mighty hunter. So he, this lion, and he has a snake in his hand, in his other hand, like he, he, he has control over everything. He basically touches, as you can see, this mighty hunter. So you got this lion and snake in his hands, and he's a hunter, but he's also a hunter giant. They see him as a hunter giant. Okay. So, but if you look up the historical records, he is a verifiable king. We they teach about Gilgamesh in history classes, in schools, universities, and everywhere around the world. He's considered the world's first superhero so to speak real life superhero so we see Gilgamesh now this was only one of many historical references that we're using to verify this existence of king um in, uh, as Nimrod is king in both the biblical and the mainstream historical record but one thing I wanted to point out in this picture so we're talking about Gilgamesh and oftentimes when you search this let's say this image on google you'll just get this piece of the slab um with him and the snake and the and the lion in his arm which looks like a baby. So think about how big they see him. If they if this lion and how massive are lions is like a little mm-hmm. it's like a little kitten in his arm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Could be a young lion though.
1: Could be. I don't know how young though when you read the stories. <laughs> but <laughs> but what, what's even more interesting for me is this winged bull beside him.
2: You see this, this
1: slab, this image that's beside him?
3: What does that look like to you? Um, like a sphinx? Well, I don't know if it mm-hmm. looks. Well,
2: um, that
3: type of image. It has, pardon? I said that, that sort of image. Uh, it looks more like a, a, a seraphim or a, uh, one of those. So remember, and so remember the Sumerians
1: weren't Egyptians. There were them. And but this winged bull, when we looked at images of the tabernacle and the temple, this winged bull image looks a lot like like a cherubim to us. What we've depicted over time as cherubim, huh? So there's an understanding of them and these things being existent in the ancient world. And in the Mm. and the reason why this is here is because actually there's a Sumerian story that of okay. course talks about the, the, the poems that were written about Gilgamesh, that they call this the bull of heaven.
2: Oh. Hmm.
1: That he goes to defeat and so that this and this happens and blah, 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 blah. But this is what they call the bull of heaven. So shine not away <laughs> from the similarities and stories across 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 groups and cultures because what that says is that there is a common understanding that there's an existence here how we have interpreted it depends on how we've connected to it and who we believe is the truth in it. Amen? So, but yes, to show that the stories that were written at this time by people who were not of Hebraic descent, they also saw these things existing giants, winged bulls, all this stuff was a part of their existence, of their thinking. All right? Any questions on that so far? Like any anything that that's going, oh, wow, I didn't. Any thoughts? Mm. I see a lot of pondering. How many people are just, are just taking it in? It's like, hmm, really just mm-hmm. taking
2: it in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: take it in. Yes, I see Shannon. She says processing. Mm. Yeah, she's just like taking it in. That's take that in for a moment because. Like I said, we're we're, we're taught to step away when, if we would take the time to embrace, we would be able to see how it validates what we already know. The world will will validate the Bible. It doesn't need validation, but the more that we dig is the more that we see that it's designed to validate us. (laughs) It validates us. It validates our truth. So here we are. So now I'm going to take you back to the point that I was trying to make about them, which is I'm going, so I'm going all the way back to Genesis six. You'll have Genesis six memorized by now. Um, so Genesis six, one through four, I'm gonna read it again. Um, am I going one through four or am I just doing four? Uh, maybe I'll do four and five. We'll see. Mm. see, where the scripture takes me. So it says, so remember in Genesis one through four is, as I said, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, this is back at Noah's time um, and remember, this is Noah pre-flood. Nephilim were on the earth during those days and also afterwards. So they sur- so some of them survived this flood or are not included in the flood, depends on how, where we say the flood region was. And afterward, the and the sun and what happened was, so basically what ha- happened was that the sons of God and the daughters of humans <laughs> had children and these were these heroes of old men of renown that ev- that we eventually see like in the, like Yogamesh. And I'm sure there's, then there were many, 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 many more. Many, 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 many more, as the word tells us. So Genesis 6, 1 through 4, in the introduction of the flood, it was the introduction of the flood story. And the flood story begins in Genesis 6, same chapter, but in verse 5. And um, I wonder, oh, no, I'm going to stay right there. So so if you want to continue to read about the flood story, go to Genesis six and five and then it starts to talk about the flood but what we did learn is that the flood of divine justice at that time was God's response not only to human wickedness in general because there was much of it but specific there was a very specific outbreak of violence and war that the warrior giants were a part of that the Nephilim were a part of and so this flood is almost God, is a like God's attempt to purify the land from innocent bloodshed by Nephilim and their violence. Um, we also are meant to see that many of the Nephilim perish in the flood by reading this story. But the Hebrew Bible doesn't mean that doesn't say that that's the end of them, because we know that they have survived past that time. They're still <coughs> after the flood. they're still around after the flood. So some are gone, but not all, because we eventually read about other times where they have to be run out of the land. Like in Joshua's case, he had to go run them out of Israelite territory. All right, so let's do this. The, let me go to another slide. Let me go to another slide. So the biblical giants, these warriors, as I said before, go by the Amin, which are the Amites, the Anakim, the Anakites, and the Refereem, the Refereids, the Refrites. All descend from the Nephilim. Now, the last title, the Refraim. this is a fascinating one. This is one to, to watch and follow. Very important. Good point, Lisa. I'm watching her in the chat. Um, and we'll talk, I could talk about that in a bit. So that the last title, the rephaim, because when it's used in the Bible, it's often referring to the spirits of dead warrior kings. So we have, we've used the Nephilim, living giants, Amites, living giants, Anakites, living giants. But usually when the term rephaim gets used, it's used to describe the spirits of dead warrior kings. And this becomes very important to where we're going with our, our semester and why we're covering all of this to begin with. So it becomes really fascinating because there's a whole, it bridges into another discussion in the New Testament, which is what you're looking at right now. This is Second Peter 2 verses four and five. I think I might have a couple of scriptures I need to go over to tie this in correctly. But 2 Peter 2 verses four to five. And as I'm reading it here, it says, for God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And if he did not spare the ancient world, look at that. Verse five, if he did not spare the ancient world, when he brought the flood on It's ungodly people and protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others. And then it goes on to talk about further, what is God going to do with us now kind of thing. But look at this again. It said, if God did not spare angels when they sinned. So clearly something happened with with some groups that weren't doing what they're supposed to do. Right. But sent them all to where? Hell. Hell. They go to a place. They're going to a place. So God didn't let people, he didn't let them get off with stuff. Some divine beings up there did not get away for doing something they weren't supposed to do. And it says that they put them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So more coming, more to come <laughs> with them. Okay. More to come. But, and then it says he did not spare the, Ancient world, when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. So let's put that together. Let's let's put that together. The ancient world of the flood. Who was who was existing at that time?
3: No, Noah,
1: and who else? Who other humans that were there at the time? Right,
2: but who else uh, was walking the earth? Giant.
1: Um, giants.
2: yes giants yes.
1: yes the nephilim they are part of the flood story remember we read the book the book end that takes us into the flood story so as god did not spare all of those that were on the earth at that time but protected noah so we're saying that that god that he didn't he that he has judged their behavior when he did that they were a part of that judgment they were clearly not doing what god had wanted the world was wicked the Nephilim were wicked at that time, and so were the people, and God washed the world clean of them. Interesting, huh? So, all right, let, let's continue then. So, from what is written here, we know the judgment was about the state of the world at the time of the flood and all the habitants therein. Okay, now let's read Jude verses six and seven. Remember, no chapters in Jude. <laughs> Do Jude mm-hmm. verses six and seven. It says, and the angels who did not keep their position of authority. Hmm, interesting, huh? So It's like, what angels are those? That's interesting. So the angels that did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with the everlasting change of judgment on that great
2: day Mm -hmm. Mm, I heard the mm. Mm.
1: (laughs) so there are some divine beings that did not keep their positions of authority and left their proper dwelling Mm -hmm. he has them bound in darkness until judgment is executed.
2: <laughs>
1: Who are we talking about here?
3: I think these are the, um, these are, the, uh, I'm not sure, but I think these are the ones that were kicked out of heaven with Lucifer.
1: Mm, it could
3: be. But based on what
1: not... we're reading today, what did we learn? Who left their positions to go somewhere else? Nephilim. Well, because those are the result of the leaving proper dwelling.
3: Mm-hmm. they're the result of it so oh, the sons of god can't well oh well, well, keep going say it out. say it again the divine council yeah, yeah. right
1: so we so clearly no sin's gone unpunished right so remember we said now here's a, here's something to consider if the divine council is supposed to be where
2: heaven heaven mm-hmm.
1: With God, and we heard, well, we read, we didn't hear, we read that they had left their post and le- and went down into the earth and had children with women. I right. consider that being abandoning your proper dwelling. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say mm-hmm. so. And and it says these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day isn't this similar to what we read back here in the verse in verse five in second peter if he did not spare the ancient world well let me go back one verse four for god did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness so there's this there's this sense of divine beings that are being judged Uh so we know at least that i won't put any other terms around that yet but We have some divine beings that are going to, that sinned and are now in judgment, in hell. And then we know that there were people and giants walking the earth. They were ungodly. God didn't spare them either. Uh And then we know, and just to reinforce the fact that the divine, that there were divine beings that didn't do what they're supposed to do. We read in a different scripture in the book of Jude right that this divine beings left their proper dwelling left their homes went somewhere they weren't supposed to be and because of it which clearly was sin because it's disobedience they are now they're being judged for the great day on the great day interesting so everybody got judged is getting judged in this picture verse seven in a similar way and we had lots of discussion on this but in a similar way sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire Mm. so see how they tied that story again of Sodom and Gomorrah back into all of these judgments. And they use it as an example. It says, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So question, how did, how were the people of Sodom and Gomorrah judged?
3: What happened? How, how, did, how did God judge them? What did he do? Well, he sent down the fire and um, destroyed the cities because um, well the city and all the surrounding towns that's right and uh yeah and you know what's funny mm. I have never I've always thought about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed but the words surrounding towns mm-hmm. mm. I never is that is that just me or everybody else I never thought of the surrounding towns. No, I didn't Because we didn't, we never focus on the surrounding town, right? We just focus on Gomorrah, right? Right. But it says right here, surrounding towns. I wonder why our minds never went there.
2: Hmm.
3: Well, because, you know, we're only following usually the main thread of the story.
1: But if you remember, here's how I know that you know the surrounding towns were destroyed. Do you remember when we read the story a few weeks ago? Maybe about a month ago, we we recall. See if you recall that when Lot desired to leave, and God told him to go to. Yep, there we go, Zoar. He decided to Mm go. God told him to run to the hill country. Right. And he said he doesn't think he's going to make it, (laughs) and so he points out Zoar, and so that God says, "I'll spare that one. Go there." So that means that God destroyed not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but everything that was there, minus Zohar, mm-hmm. because That's where Lot went. And then he said he couldn't hack it there and then goes to the hill country anyway. Laha.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. <laughs> so Why did you
3: stop? You should have continued.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, humans being humans, right? So so here we go. But God uses this, but in the scripture in Jude, we see that this is said, hey, like just he said, fire and brimstone. There's going to be hot fire judgment that takes place here mm-hmm. that there's there's some burning going on to purify all of this so we just mm-hmm. talked about we talked about how there are divine beings that have sinned left their post and because left their post and sinned, and in leaving their post and sinning they are chained until the day of judgment in hell and god also judged the earth with all the people and and hybrid beings that were walking it with the flood. And so they don't get, so there is a judgment taking place. And it looks similar. Like I said, the best thing, the best, when it says serves as an, as an example is, here's the best image I can give you that could tell you what this is going to look like. Sodom and Gomorrah and front and count. Fire. As Lisa says, disco <laughs> infernal. Yes. <laughs> fire, fire, fire. Okay. So think of this. So that's what he's saying is that there's judgment. So that means are they in good standing with God or not good standing with God? If God is burning up and judging,
3: No, no they're not good standing, not, not good standing. Oh,
1: no. Good. So this is important because remember we're still talking about the Nephilim, and I told you now I'm talking about the Rekheim, which are oh. which are. What did I say that the, the term Rekheim is connected to?
3: Dead warrior. Yes.
1: yes. Dead warrior spirits. All right. So I'm going to get you there. Now Peter and Jude here, like we read the book, we read Peter and we read Jude, and they're reflecting on when they what they brought in was pieces of Genesis six into their conversation, into these early books of Genesis that talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, that talk about that are talking about what happened with the rephaim in the depictions, and and they're merging its ideas with these depictions of the rephaim as spirits of the dead, and so we want to notice how Jude verse seven here connects the two stories of the sons of God and Genesis six with the men of Sodom and Genesis 19. It's like a bunch of Genesis, Genesis, Genesis. Now, why does all of this matter? I'm gonna tell you why. These giant warrior Kings play a key role. And at least I know that you were leaning into this like six messages ago, but um, they do play a key role in the final human and spiritual rebellion narrative. But I'm gonna talk about, I'm just gonna talk about right now, and in a few weeks from now, talk about where you're going, but Genesis one through 11, which is the founding of Babylon. Let's talk about this final human and spiritual narrative in Genesis one through 11. So this is the founding of Babylon itself. So as a a heads up, hold on, intermission here, really quick intermission. This is the end of the recap, right? Here's where I left you in the recap last week, I mean, last month or more. Okay, so that's the end of the recap. I know that this was a lot of material, but before I go on about the human and spiritual rebellion in, in Genesis, um, in, in other parts of Genesis, I want to stop and ask you, ask or do you have any questions or gaps in your understanding right now before we go forward and peel off the next layer of this proverbial onion? Because it's an onion.
2: Mm, yeah. It's a lot yeah
1: this is, and this, yeah this is like the second week we're talking about it but i wanted to make sure that i refreshed you because if you don't get this part the next part will just continue to be confusing so anything there that makes you go oh my god what up ah i hear you lisa she goes hard to keep the tribes of the giants straight don't worry the more that you the more that you um rehearse them it's you will notice what will happen is because because we're talking about it and we and we pulled them out in the lesson. When you start to read your scriptures and you see those names, they'll actually mean something to you now. Because you know, there's a lot of times when you're reading your Bible and we just, you know, amekites, amikites, in the kites, 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 ice, it's right? But now when you see refraim, you're gonna remember them. Um, when you see certain tribes, you're going to remember them. So a good example of that was this morning I was reading. My, I was reading some, some devotional time. I was reading Genesis chapter 15, which is when Abraham was, Abram was promised a son. He wasn't even Abraham yet. Was just Abram was promised a son. And as I was reading, God had spoke to him and gave him the promise when I was reading further down. And I got to the end of the chapter, which is verse 19. I was in 17, 18, 19 ish. And it talked about all the places that he was going to give Abram as descendants. Now I remind you, None of these, Nephilim and all these people, you know, whatever, had already washed away at this point, da, da, da. But I was reading, and it said that I'm going to give you, to, to your descendants, all the land from the river of Egypt, as far as the Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kezites, and the Kadamites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephraim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God was saying, I'm going to give you the land that all these people occupy but it gave me a pause when I was reading it. So I said, oh, so the land where the giants lived and some more giants lived and these other groups, it starts, to, it starts to make sense when you're reading in the Old Testament, what the characteristics of those groups of people might be that they're going to fight, defend, argue with, um, overtake. It, it will just start to give you more context. So the more that we sit with this information is the more meaning that we'll get from it and the more, more useful. But good job, good, good, good words to be said. So what, So right now, Ben, I'm going to, like I said, what I'm continuing, because at the end of the day, what are we studying? What does the screen say? The biblical history of evil. evil. So somehow, we have to be able to tie this conversation to the history of evil. And we really haven't done much of that yet. We just started to do that with the last two slides by saying, hey, something went wrong here because God washes them away. So something with the people who were also wicked. So some, that's corrupted. We also read people have, you know, beings have left their post and sinned against God and they're getting judged. They're chained up and getting judged. So there's a conversation about evil that's taking place here. That's not in the forefront, but it's happening. Remember, like I said, we have stories, but as we look behind the story, we're seeing that there is a conversation here about evil that we need to pay attention to. And that's what, that's what we're gonna continue on. All right, where am I at? About 15 minutes, okay. Not a lot of time, but I think I, got, I can cover it. Cover at least this for today. Woo, here we go. All right, so this week we're gonna continue with the discussion on this thread of the warrior giant kings who play a key role in this final human rebellion. So we're going back to Genesis 10 and we're gonna read six through 10. I'm gonna give you some, and by doing that, what I'm gonna do is like I promised, I'm gonna go back and show you, here's the sons. Like I told you, Cush, let's talk about Cush and how this is connected to the conversation and gets us where we gotta go. So Genesis 10, six through 10 and it reads, the sons of Ham, now who's who's Ham's daddy? Anybody know? Um, Noah. Yes, um, and how many sons? How many sons did he have, Deanna?
2: Three. Three. Three
3: uh,
1: sons. And okay. what was the name of the sons? Who, what's their names?
3: Cush, Abel, and Cain.
1: Oh, close. So Ham's brothers are, so these are these are Ham's kids, but Ham's brothers are.
3: Abel and, Cade. and Cade. No one came.
1: Well, we have Noah, and then Noah has his three, his three sons. Ham is one of those three sons. And we're talking about his his
3: Japheth, Japheth, um. This it? um uh, we're close. We have Shem. Shem, Ham, Ham? and Japheth. And Yes. Japheth.
1: yes. So Noah has yes. sons and their wives. And remember, they were all brought into the ark. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that were here to reestablish Earth after the flood. So Shem, Ham, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about Ham's kids. Let's talk about Ham. Push. So we have sons of Ham, Cush. Remember we talked about Cush earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So son, So we have Noah. So everything gets washed away. Boom, boom, boom. And then they're here to reestablish the earth. And Hams has Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Mm-hmm. Wow! Already. <laughs> okay. The sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. All right. And these all become very mighty nations, don't they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, interestingly, Lisa, that you say curse are the sons of Ham, but it actually says, cursed is Canaan. And then, yeah. It, I had to go back and look at this. It actually said Noah, who Noah cursed was actually Canaan. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the sons of Ham, which is also the territory that the Israelites eventually take over. They don't take over Egypt. They don't take over. Interesting, huh? So, sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons hmm. of Cush then are Seba, Havalia. Remember, we talked about the region of gold, Havalia, Sabada Rama and Tseptekah and the sons of Rama are Sheba and Dedan. Right? And and hmm. verse eight, this is where it gets, becomes important. Cush was the father of oh
2: Okay,
1: so look at the lineage. Noah has sons. Sons, Ham is one. Ham has who? Cush, like Egypt, and came, he has Egypt, he has, but Cush, and then Cush has Nimrod, and Nimrod is a mighty warrior before the Lord, right? Hmm. And that's why we said because he's so mighty, and so we established this giant thing somewhere in the process. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is why it is said that like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, right? He's celebrated as such. And then it says Nimrod had kingdoms and the kingdoms he had were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalnech, and Shinar. So something in here between this lineage here and then finally Nimrod becomes the big boss. And then he establishes these centers, these cities, but the name that we always watch and follow is Babylon, isn't it? Now mm-hmm. yeah. in the Bible, is Babylon a good place or a bad place?
3: It becomes a bad place after a while.
1: Mm, very bad place, <laughs> right? But so, And we have to understand why. Now we'll, we'll talk about why, because he established Babylon. These are his kingdom. So before we read this, so before we go further, I'm going to release some new facts to add to your understanding. I'm going to read this. We've read this before, but let's, um, let's release some new facts now that we've t- we talked about Nimrod in detail. Nimrod, I said, is the grandson of Ham, which is Noah's son. And he is called Mighty Warrior or Mightiest. And in Hebrew, that word is gibor. So you see gibor, it is mightiest. What you may not know is that this is also the same word to describe the offsprings of the sons of God and human women in Genesis 6. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: Nephilim are actually in Genesis 6 and 4, that the word actually used here is, is actually gibor.
2: Uh,
3: is this the same Gibor in um, Prince of Peace? Mm-hmm. Okay, mighty, mighty
1: strong.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All mm. right.
1: Okay, and Lisa, I know that it's not on the list because they because the story is for me. The story is turning to discuss Nimrod specifically. mentions okay so yeah, this kid this kid this kid this kid but now let's talk about Nimrod this kid because we have a lot to talk because no because he's a he's a turning point in the story but so but again we don't know how Nimrod got here do we and he Mm -hmm. said that he's a mighty one he's a good boy this is these are the questions that we will chase for the rest of our lives like this one Lisa mentioned that it says Cush is the father of Nimrod, but it also says, but it says, why does it say Seba, Seba, Havalia, Sabata, um, Rama, and, and 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 Sabteca as the sons of Cush? But then it says Cush is the father of Nimrod. Well, we don't. There's there's a lot of conversation about that because it could be that the story is just pulling him out to talk about him specifically, and or he may have come about a different way. Mm-hmm. But what we do maybe is it's
3: from talk- a a different mother, a different everything. I don't know.
1: And, but what we do know is that his, is that he's attached to this, this, this conversation around Gabor. We identify the Nephilim in chapter six. I know it gets good. This is so much to pull. You're going to have a good week of learning, of pulling apart. But see what we're, what we're seeing here is that this is beginning to display to us how the rebel Elim, the rebel divine council are behind this creation of this giant race and the founding of the Babylonian empire. So they're also behind Babylon in some way because they're we're con- connecting that through Nimrod. The same terms are used for them all the way through. So we're connecting it through Nimrod now. So I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna show you a complementary story. I'm gonna show you another story on, um, on the founding of Babylon that connects to this. Boy, I tell you, you might have to split this into next week. Um, Genesis 11, let, we're going to Genesis 11, uh, 1 through 4, do I have that around, I can add it, let's go to Genesis 11 really quickly, um, this is Isaiah, let me, let me do this,
2: let go to ooh. That's what I'm going to do. Let's go to, like I said,
1: Genesis 11, 1 through 4. I'll do the NIV. I'm going to bring that up. do that. And it reads, now the whole world had one language and common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we be scattered. So let me go back again so you can follow the screen for those who are following. It says, now the whole world had one language and common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, so somewhere along the line, they said, we're not doing what God said no more. We're gonna make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they use bricks instead of stone, tar for mortar. So they make a new technology called a brick. And then they said, come let's build ourselves a city with the tower that reaches where?
2: Heavens,
3: heavens,
1: heavens! right? To all the way up. And so that we may make a name for ourselves. <laughs> Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So we have two things going on. We have two stories that talk about Babylon here, back to back. We see what happened with the people as a whole that were traveling eastward and said, we're not going to continue to travel. We have this new technology called the brick. And we're going to build ourselves a city and we're going to stay here because we're, and we're going to build this tower and it's going to be so tall and it's going to touch the heavens we want we're going to touch the heavens again
2: so and
0: when it says make a make a name for ourselves so basically they're going to call heaven something that they made.
1: that's right exactly a little
3: arrogance
1: isn't it though <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got yeah. this new technology. But you know, every time we get new technologies, humans, we think that we've done everything, that we're everything. So <laughs> they get new technology. They built and they start building. And they said, We're going to make a name for ourselves from this technology. And we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be so amazing. It's going to take us all the way to heaven.
3: Wow.
1: And while this is going on, they also have a leader. Yeah. Who is who? What's his name? Was Nimrod? Nimrod. Oh, yeah. Nimrod. See, I bet you never connected those two things together. Hmm. So they also have a leader who is Nimrod, and Nimrod is a mighty man of valor, and he's not only a valor; he's a mighty hunter, and he is such a big guy, and he's a giant superhero thing, because he is probably the offspring of some mixing stuff. So now we see that again. We call this the the joint rebellion because we have influence from divine beings alongside with these people doing something all on their own and excluding God. One more time. Uh So go back. God said, I'm not gonna contend with people and keep my spirit in them forever. You guys have these kids on the earth that aren't supposed to be here that will probably live forever and this place is corrupt. I'm washing it away. We're done with it. He washes it away. Noah and his family are spared. And they, and they have kids. But not all, not all of the Nephilim had left the earth. Correct? Right. So somewhere along the way, Noah's hand, his son, Ham, has Cush. And Cush has Nimrod. Nimrod becomes something that's worthy of, of praise. But somewhere between him and the people and all the influence here, they decide that they're gonna make this Babylon. And Babylon is going to be in gonna be this this, this space that doesn't need God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Babylon doesn't need Mm -hmm. we can do it all ourselves with our own technology and every we have everything we need we're fine and we're going to make our name for ourselves out of this Mm. message so before before a fall oh yeah oh there it is Deanna pride comes before (laughs) a fall and it was a big one it was a massive tumble got too big for the britches (laughs) yes we did if 10 foot or not (laughs) yeah
0: greedy (laughs) question in here it says they said otherwise we will be scattered over the face <laughs> of the whole earth so i'm uh, thinking that um it wasn't as important to be scattered over the whole earth and just to make the priority to go up to heaven
2: oh so or he-
0: they knew they would be in trouble or something
1: well here's the context the instruction god gave them prior to this if you get to read the chapters before this God told them to start continue the eastward, and expand, like scatter and go fill the earth. Because remember, the whole job was for them to uh-huh. replenish the earth post-flood. And <laughs> they decided that they didn't want to break up. Okay. They started They started moving east, and they said, hey, you know what? I don't, we don't want to break up. What's going to become of us if we all break up? We want to stay together. So here's what we're going to do. Not travel. Mind we're going to stay here and build our
3: own stuff. We're not doing it. Uh-huh. we're not doing it so- and I guess Nimrod takes the lead on this one <laughs> right <laughs> although, <laughs> although, he's a, although he's a mighty warrior in, in, um, before God he looks like he turns his back on God right here when that happens he takes the lead mm, we can at least infer it because we said we said that
1: who established Babylon right mm-hmm. so we can at least infer the connection right and uh-huh. so we put this all together now so genesis 11 gave us this context around babylon's origins i'm going to start wrapping up because i know we're close um that and what we see here from this conversation is that this was really some just some real this was more than just some really cool humans. SpaceX engineering project, we just want to make a name, Virgin flying around the moon, we're going to go, you know, discover the great beyond, this is what we're told here is that its temple tower was built, this tower, this temple tower is built in order to reach the heavens, so in other words, this temple tower of Babylon is portrayed as a human-made attempt to recreate Eden. To recreate the original temple mountain where heaven and earth overlapped. So we're getting up there by ourselves. We don't need God to connect us with them anymore. And this is has, it, go ahead, Ruby.
3: I was gonna ask, is this, this one when God got hungry and 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 decide for each one to speak different language? This yeah. is where the different languages come in. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: this is that story. That's because that's what happens next, right? So they 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 it's interesting because they're at a place where humans—they want to get back to the place where those humans and spiritual beings interact freely. They want uh, to build their own version of that, and so they use this Babylon. And so throughout the Bible, what we see is that we use Babylon as an image of joint human and spiritual rebellion. And it happens in other places in the Bible. It's not. This is not the only place where we read about this rebellion. Um, and if you remember back in semester one. We discussed the book of Isaiah, but let me show you these two scriptures that help to reinforce what we're talking about right now. Very short. So Isaiah 14, verses 3 to 4. Yeah, this is a lot of work. I'm just glad that you're you're journeying with me on it. This is a lot. Um, Isaiah 14, 3 to 4. I'm gonna read them in the NASB for because I it'll get the point across faster for you. It says, and it will be and it will be in the day. When the Lord gives, this is Isaiah speaking. Remember, so we're way past this now. We're in the prophets now. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and your turmoil. He's, he's prophesying to the children of Israel and harsh service in which you have been enslaved. So they're already in some kind of bondage. We're way out there. This is a word from the Lord to the people. He says that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So clearly they're fighting against Babylon again somewhere down the road mm-hmm. and it says you're going to take up this taunt Israel against Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased and how his fury has ceased
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then and then verses 12 through 15 read how oh how you have fallen right we usually associate this with one being in particular but it says how you have fallen from heaven O star of the morning sun mm-hmm. of the sun right You have been Mm -hmm. cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Verse 13. Mm. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the Mm.
2: recesses
1: of the north. And it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Whoa. 15. Nevertheless, you will be not sent to where Sheol, i.e., hell, i.e., the underworld, to the recesses of the pit. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna fast track to the end of this conversation. As we had read in semester, we read the scripture in semester one, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And we had talked about the fact that there was the Babylonian king that was in power at this time was not Nimrod, not none of that stuff. Another guy. But we understood that this person was embodying the spirit of another being or was following the being puppeted, let's say, by another being who had a bigger motivation, right? And so this legacy, but what we're reading today is that this legacy of Babylon, the, this Babylonian empire still remains in scripture. So let me tie it up. In this poem, Isaiah depicts the king of Babylon as a human rebel, who's following the same career path as the spiritual rebel behind the origins of Babylon.
2: Mm -hmm. So remember
1: that we said Babylon was founded by Nimrod, a Nephilim warrior giant, right? But then then built up an anti-Eden in Genesis 11, right? They're trying to build this tower, this anti-Eden. And Isaiah compares that motivation of this king to that of Babylon, which wanted to ascend up to God, up to the heavens. So Babylon is more than just a human enterprise. It is like an icon of human and spiritual rebellion when we talk about Babylon. Mm-hmm. So as we're nearing our time together, as, as we're closing, let's pull it all together now and do some summary work. Number one, multiple spiritual and human rebellions the, the one, all the multiple human and spiritual rebellions we read about, they're all connected in some way, in one way, shape, or form. One thread. In Genesis, and here's how. Here's the ones that we've covered to this point. In Genesis three and in Genesis four, all, chapter three and chapter four, the original. There's an original spiritual rebel who forms, who is formed, and and he's a former exalted. Throne guardian, let's call him that. The circle, we talked about how beautiful he was, didn't we? With mm-hmm. all those, he was beautiful, he was beautiful. And so, this original spiritual rebel used to be exalted, an exalted throne guardian for God's heavenly temple. And this rebel becomes resentful of the fact that humans are being exalted above him, he's subservient to them now. So what he does is he lures them into the same temptation. We're all the way back in Genesis, beginning of the books, Adam and Eve. And he lures them into the same temptation that he fell into. And by doing it, he seizes authority by his own wisdom and abuses it for selfish reasons. So he he lures them so that he could trick them and take away their authority and position with God. And so we watch from there, these humans replay this rebellion And so it starts with Adam and Eve, and then with Cain and the murder of his brother. And if you remember, like when we talked about Cain and the murder of his brother, Cain and Abel, remember the the word says that with sin was crouching at the door, kind of like an animal or or a snake was crouching at the door to, to pounce on him if he decided to do the wrong thing. So we're seeing that there's an original human, there's an original being. Then as we move forward, We have Genesis 6 through 11. And so what we find here is that even more members of this divine council, of the divine council, rebel. So we have an original rebellion with this one temple guardian. We have divine council members who rebel in this really intensified remake of of Genesis 3, which results in the spread of creatures that are part spiritual being and part human. We call them the Nephilim. And they spread their violence eventually through empires. And it begins with Babylon. It be- and so be- and through their empires and their empires, like a really big empire that we talk about is Babylon. And many of these beings, they die in the flood, but their spirits live on in an underworld as terrifying mm. monsters. This, this place Shale as terrifying monsters. Terrifying monsters? Georgia, where did you read terrifying monsters? I know we said that they're dead and they're down there, but where did you get terrifying monsters from? Well, let's be be realistic. We're gonna look at one more scripture to connect that thought. So we're going back into Isaiah and then we're gonna close for today. Um, So let's talk about the terrifying monsters because remember, this is the history of evil, the biblical history of evil. And we're talking about the Nephilim and how they tie to the picture. It says in Isaiah 14 and nine, It reads Sheol, right? The house of the dead, the underworld. Sheol from beneath, from beneath. So we're underneath, right? So Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. So Isaiah is still talking to somebody who's who's an oppressor, right? And he said, when you die, the underworld is excited when you get here it arouses for you the spirits of the dead. And if you read this in Hebrew, it translates as the rephaim. So it says, it arouses for you. It's going to wake up the rephaim, All the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. Mm -hmm. So it's telling this leader that you think you're so bad, but guess what? When you die, and you go to the underworld? They're excited to get a hold of you. For you to get here. Oh yeah. It's going to wake up even the rephaim refere-
0: You said that's Isaiah.
1: Isaiah chapter 14 verse 9.
0: 14 verse 9. And then does that go up into verse 15. Where it says nevertheless she will be thrust down to Sheol.
2: Yep. Okay. All the way to
1: 15 you can read. But I keep it there for this conversation. I kept it here. So, like you said, so clearly the scripture says that they are there, aren't they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the rephaim are like I said to you. Refer to I said at the beginning of this section, the rephaim are dead spirits in the place of the dead. Woo! They're dead spirits in the place of the dead. How tall did we say they were when they walked near?
2: No, the I earth? Eleven.
3: 10 feet. 11 feet, Nine or feet. Or 11 feet. Yeah, that's not a monster.
1: I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Dead spirits of 10, 12 foot beings waiting to, to take you on in the grave. Ah! Uh. <laughs> Think about that. That's just logic. <laughs> so if we leave Rephraim untranslated, this kind of reveals that there might be a role for dead giants in the underworld, which distinguishes them from other dead beings that are there. So there's other dead beings there and them. So the rephaim are said to rise up and greet the Babylonians when they sink down to Sheol in death. Ah. All right, wrap it up. So let's wrap it up because we could talk about this all day. So to wrap this up and connect it to the broader topic of the history of biblical spiritual evil, biblical history of spiritual evil, I'm going to give you a lead into what we're discussing next week, and you can. And if you're a note taker, take notes at this time. Um, write this down. For these are the car- categories that we're going to discuss in the evil storyline in the Hebrew Bible. I know, Shannon! like, it sounds like a thriller movie, isn't this nuts? Mm-hmm. So um, here's here's what you need to know. We have we've officially established with all of the stuff that we've said today. If I had to boil it all down, we have established that there is at least an Ark rebel and he's depicted I'll just say he for general it he whatever is depicted by the imagery of a snake in genesis 3 or serpent and sin is also identified as sin in genesis 4 so genesis 3 we have the serpent genesis 4 we see and sin is crouching at the door so we have there's at least an Ark enemy right number two There are at least some type of lower level spiritual rebels and they can deceive humans into exalting their empires to divine status. Okay. So there's some motivators in the crowd, catalysts in the crowd. And we also see that there are some deceased spirits of the Nephilim who are enduring this shadowy existence in the underworld somewhere
0: that would be the refrain.
1: yes that's the referee. they're down there and they're down there <laughs> okay so next week we will discuss how these categories of spiritual rebels are developed through the storyline of the hebrew bible and after that we can move into spiritual evil in the new testament amen sound good sounds good i know that this was so much information and you're gonna to have to go back through your notes and through the message but i feel like we needed to spend a little extra time to establish this thought so that we could take off running again next week so if you have more questions let's, let's chat about them in the after hours but for now let's give you some reflection time Amen.
0: Their human bones are as fragile as mine. I have my flaws, but they have the same kind. I was ashamed, because I couldn't see. The grace says that they're in the same boat as me. But what I lack you are full of and where i'm broken you are whole and what i'm doubting you are sure of so i'll trust the lover lover of my soul i'm not afraid of the arrows by day nor the darkness that comes when the sun rolls away. Lord, you know that my strength never lasts, but you make up for every weakness I have. And what I lack, you are full of, and where I'm I'm yes. ma
1: Hopefully you enjoyed this week and that your mind is spinning and you're you're back feeling that sense of, oh my goodness, so much to learn that you often felt so many times last year. But before we go, let's go ahead and say a word of blessing over you. And hopefully you'll find your way back here again next week as we we go through the biblical spiritual um, discussion on evil. And so here we are. Let's, let's bless you for this week for all the promises of god find their yes in him and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to god for his glory and the church say amen amen
2: amen,
1: amen. amen. Well, thank you so amen. much again for joining us here at next movement church um it has been truly a blessing to come into this classroom and teach teach you today remember to join us again next week as we continue on the biblical spiritual powers of evil Uh, so many ways to say it so many people things to unpack but again we'll be here for you next week so before we go go ahead and say goodbye to facebook teaching team
2: Goodbye, facebook bye facebook bye facebook we'll
1: see
2: you again soon (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom